everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. We have to. This is one you've got to just embed into your spirit. So now there is, say it with me, no condemnation. One more time, I'll give you a better heads up. We're going to say no condemnation together. Are you ready? Romans 8, verse 1. So now there is none whatsoever for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Why is that important? Why is it important to know that there is no condemnation for those that belong to Christ? I'm going to tell you. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You have to understand this. It is because you do not live in condemnation that you can walk in the life-giving power of the Spirit that sets you free. Which means, if you are living in condemnation, you are quenching the life-giving Spirit that sets you free. Because there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. I therefore can live by the power of the living Spirit of God that sets me free. Let me give you an example of how this has plagued my life. I am uh, currently, and, and I'm very kind of quiet to share about this, because I don't want it to come across as arrogance. You're going to hear me. It's actually the exact opposite. But I am in the second year of working on a doctor of ministry degree. And in the, yeah, it's, it's cool, I, I guess. It makes me sound a whole lot smarter than I am. Honestly, all it's done is help me reveal how much I have left to learn. Um, and in that grain, a doctor of ministry degree, this is really cool. It's, it's a degree that is in your context of ministry. So I'm doing a research project. Uh, and you are my little research pieces, right? No, what, what it is, is and my research question, for those of you that are familiar with terminal degrees, is what is the relationship between a daily time with God and the, and the spiritual growth of a Christian? So I'm going to, over the course of a couple of years, take a daily time with God and compare it to the spiritual growth of of Christians. And my hypothesis is there is nothing that's going to create a faster, more rapid, intentional transformation in the life of a Christian than daily meeting with God. Okay? Uh, to say all of that to say, I'm going to send out a couple surveys. And they're anonymous surveys. They have to be to comply with our internal review board. So I'm not checking up on you and, and gathering information on you. It's completely anonymous. But what it will do is it will really aid the research of this project if you will just answer them they answer them truthfully, it will be anonymous, and we'll take that research, and we'll begin to build a project, and years from now, when it's all done, we'll all be able to say, hey, we figured out we're much closer to Jesus when we all read the Bible, pray, worship, meditate, and apply what God is doing in our life. So, say all of that to say, I was actually a terrible, horrible student when I was, when I was a kid. I was absolutely just constantly in trouble. Someone, someone said, I said this one other time, and they said, yeah, I can totally see that about you. 
great. By the way, I'm the pastor here, you know, but I was just a bad student. I got in trouble all the time. I was rebellious, didn't have a father figure in my life. My two older brothers did nothing but get into trouble. I remember walking into a science class and the science teacher looked at me and he said, Cunningham, as in Tom and Jeff Cunningham. Those are my two older brothers. And I said, yes, that's correct. And they said, oh, okay, well, do we send you to the office now or later? because we know you're going to get in trouble. That was like the reputation that I carried with me. On top of that, I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Again, people say, who kind of told that? Who kind of tell, you know? Um, but it was, it was honestly, it was one of the most difficult things. I couldn't focus on anything. I was just not focused. I wasn't paying attention. I would lose focus. I didn't, and it just caused me to, to say to myself, all I do is get in trouble, and I'm not very smart. Those were, the, those were the, the, the thoughts I began believing over my So I never gave an effort to school, did really, really bad. I mean, I just was a straight C student, right? A D here or there, but I had to have C's to stay eligible. So I had C's all throughout, stayed eligible, got a baseball scholarship, went to play baseball, and forgot about school didn't work out well for me, right? College for me was like Vegas for some people. You just go and it happens and you forget. You come back and like, what on earth did I do? Like, how did all this happen? You know, like my, my life's crazy, but I think I had a good time. But that was college for me. Then Jesus really got a hold of my heart. I got serious about the Lord. I decided, you know what? Uh, I'm going to follow the Lord. I did a little Bible institute, started working at a church as a middle school ministry intern. I've told you that story and, and just, you know, a couple of years go by. It wasn't until really a friend of mine, Dr. Mark Rutland, he's a former president of a couple universities, a pastor. He's a great guy. I was telling him my story. I said, Dr. Rutland, you're an education guy. You're, you're really smart. I said, I, I really am not. I really screwed up my education, and uh, I feel like the Lord is calling me to go back and to, to further it, but I just don't know how. And Dr. Rutland just looked at me. It's all I needed to hear. He said, you're never too late to do what God's called you to do. You're never too late. You're never far behind. You're never too far off to do exactly. Let that be a word for those of you in your 60s, in your 70s, and God is calling you to do something. You're never too late to do what God has called you to do. That's called obedience. So he says that to me, and I said, okay, long story short, finished a, a Master's of Practical Theology, and then I was finished with that. And after I, the day I graduated from a Master's of Practical Theology, I was like, okay, I did what the Lord told me to do, and he dropped in my heart, I want you to go and, and get your doctorate. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm way too stupid to go to a doctorate program. And that's when I realized it. I have these condemning thoughts that are continually rolling around in my mind, and these condemning thoughts are keeping me from doing and living in what God has called me to do. And it was in that moment, I mean, honestly, a doctor of ministry for me is just to convince myself that the lies that have been spoken over me and that I've told myself for years are not true and that I can do what God has called me to do. In other words, I can change. You can change. 
The problem is we live in these thoughts, these mindsets, these self-defeating, condemning, minimizing thoughts, and they keep us from doing what God has called us to do. I know too many people that are living a life in a sin pattern that they have been living in for 10, 20, 30 years, and they just believe it's the way I am. It's, what is, it's because of what has happened to me. I'm not that smart. I just get in trouble. I can't quit looking at that. And what we're doing is, as Paul said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because if there is, I can't live in the life-giving power that sets me free. If you want to walk in freedom today, and you want to experience change today, the first thing you have to do is quit listening to the lies right here. You can change. You can change your thoughts. You can change your heart. And you can change your actions. Those are the the bullet points for today. You can change your thoughts. You can change your heart. And you can change your actions. How? Romans 7 verse 6. It says, but now we have been released from the law. The law was the human way of keeping obedience. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. You can change by living in the Spirit. You can think differently. You can love differently. You can act differently by living in the Spirit. But hear me, the first thing that has to go is condemnation. The first thing that has to go is that thought of, I'll never be this because I got divorced in my past. I'll never accomplish this because I was only a screw up here. I'll never be given this opportunity because I ruined this opportunity. I caused hurt here, so I'm unlovable here. That condemnation has to go if you're going to live in and become and experience the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with our thoughts. Number one, the Holy Spirit changes my mind and attitude. My mind and my attitude have to change if I'm going to live in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 23. says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Paul is challenging them. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Your thoughts can change. Your attitude can change. Hear me, we have so many things right now that are telling us what we should be and who we are. You're a Number on the Enneagram. You are an INTJ. You are a DI. I get these all the time, right? We have so many things that want to define us. The problem is, what is changing us? 
Because you can live stuck in this minimized mindset of, well, that's just how I am. That, do you not think the person who created your personality can change your personality? Do you not think he can change your mind? Do you not think he can change your attitude? I don't care what the stereotypes of an eight are. I care about the, po the power of the life-giving spirit that can change those unhealthy negative characteristics in me. So I don't have to be frustrated. I don't have to blow up because I can have peace and I can have joy and I can have patience in the power of the Holy Spirit because it changes my mind and it changes my attitude. Uh, when Anna and I first moved to Conroe, we moved into River Point Apartments right next to Incredible Pizza and China Buffet. It was everything that it sounds like. We decided to go to the pool, and we went down to the pool, and some friendly neighbors were handing out jello shots in stolen Taco Cabana containers that were just, I was like, wow, we are here, you know? Uh, and so we decided to go, you remember these days? It's like, what on earth? We're like, hey, you want to go sit by the pool? And they're like, hey, guys, I got some jello shots for you here. Tossed me into Taco Cabana. I'm like, what the heck is going on, right? So anyways, uh, there was a China Buffet. Its name was China Buffet. <laughs> I should have known at that point that I was probably not stepping into the Chinese food that I desired. Anyway, uh, I looked at Yelp, and on Yelp, it had like 900 five-star reviews. So I was like, well, 900 five-star reviews can't lie, right? So we go in there, and when we walked in, I was already like, I don't know about this place. And then we're seated, and when we sit down, there's this little card on the table, and the card says, leave us a five-star review, and we'll give you 10% off. Yeah, you bought them. I get it. All right, now I know where the reviews came from. So we walked up to the buffet, and I will, I, it is still seared in my mind. I'm a General So's guy, right? If you say to so around me, I'm going to make fun of you on Instagram. It is General So's chicken, right? I, I'm a, so I found the General So's, and I went over there, and I had the spoon. And, like, it had been sitting so long in that heated deal that the top glaze was, like, crusted. It was like, you know how when you turn the spoon over and it breaks and cracks and like the real sauce is, I was like, uh-uh, nope, we are out of here, get your purse, we're gone. And we're walking out the front and the lady says to me, sir, where are you going? Do you, is something wrong? And I said, yes, we have changed our mind. We're out of here. Isn't it amazing? We can change our mind about food that we don't want to eat, but we can't change our mind about sin behavior that we've had in our life for years. We will change. Our, oh, I'm not eating that. You can't convince me to touch that. I have changed my mind, but I'm going to live trapped in this garbage for years because I can't recognize the power I have in the Holy Spirit to change my mind. It took me 30 years to quit believing the lie that I'm stupid. 30, I mean, 30 years. Think about if I would have figured that out earlier. What is God trying to speak to you about who you really are that condemnation is muting from you? What is God trying to convince you of? What is the potential that he's trying to bring out of you that condemnation keeps silencing? Why does Revelation 12 say the enemy is the accuser of the brethren? 
Because as many times as he can, he can accuse you and accuse you and accuse you to get you to believe the lies that he's trying to tell you, it will keep you from the life-giving power that sets you free. We are set free in our minds. We're set free in our attitudes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Holy Spirit changes my heart doesn't just change my mind. It doesn't just renew my thoughts. It changes my heart. Romans 5 verse 5. I love this. It says, in this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. I have seen old, gruff, tough, oil-filled, roughneck, rig hands that just, they got hands the size of gorillas, and they are just as rough and tough as they can be, broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't stop hugging people out here. Y'all remember Mr. Tom, right? Mr. Tom, some of you, some of you know he passed away from cancer. Mr. Tom grew up rough, tough, and gruff in the oil field, and you know what happened? The Holy Spirit filled his heart with love. He would, he would not let you get past him without giving him a hug. What? It's just the Holy Spirit did it. Just as gritty. Oh, now he's like, come here, come here, come here. First time I met him, he gave me a hug. So I was like, wow, who is this guy? Now I wish I could hug him again. But he resembled that power of love. The Holy Spirit fills our hearts with love. But the condemnation has to go away so the Spirit can touch our hearts. And when the Spirit touches our hearts, it fills us with love. I was proud when I first moved to Texas to be from a state that had just a far better baseball team, to be honest with you. I came from Kansas City. Yeah, I know, it's, it's tough to hear, but uh, in 2015, I know you remember when the Royals beat the Astros in the ALCS game yeah. series. Oh, yeah, and then they beat the Astros, and then they went on to win the World Series. I know y'all haven't forgotten that. It's kind of like last year when the Chiefs played the Texans in the playoffs, and they were down... 21 nothing. Where's Drew Frisch? Man, my phone was blowing up like crazy. Drew texting me all, oh, it's 21 nothing, 21 nothing. And wound up winning 51-31. I know you haven't forgotten that either. It's just something about Kansas City that really wins, right? And there's something about the Astros and the Texans and now the Cowboys. Well, anyway, this is about Jesus, not about sports. But I just, there was this time when I first, I was so excited about it. And, and then something happened in 2017. Diehard Royals fan, been to a million games at Kauffman Stadium, and my wife texted me, and she said, hey, you'll never believe this. And I said, what? And she said, Zion, our daughter at the center that she was going to school at at the time, said she's outside playing with Alex Bregman. I said, you get her away from that guy right now. <laughs> I know who that is. She said, no, it's, it's too late. She's out there. In fact, guys, do you have the picture of, of Bregman? Do you have it? This is one of many pictures... <laughs> right? Don't ask me to hook you up with Bregman or to get you a conversation or anything like that. But I mean, this is one of my daughter goes outside, finds Alex Bregman. He dropped off these kids and she jumps into his arms. She thought it was me, guys. She thought it was me, right? I mean, you know, 
So she's playing with that, and she sends me that picture, and honestly, I, I did what you did. I was like, oh, now I'm an Astros fan. What happened in 2017? They won the World Series, right? You know how fun it was to cheer for them? You know how fun it was to watch Bregman and just cheer him on? Why? Because they touched my heart. Because he touched my heart by loving on my daughter. And when I would have never worn an Astros hat or worn an Astros jersey or cheered them on at the World Series, now I'm, I'm screaming and I'm rooting and I'm cheering for them. Why? Because my heart was touched. You have to understand that when the Holy Spirit touches your heart, it changes your affections. When the Holy Spirit touches your heart, it changes what you long for. It changes what you desire. It changes what you are in love with. It changes what you prioritize. And these transformational things begin to happen. My mind changes. My attitude changes. My heart is filled with love. I'm able to forgive. I'm able to overcome the people that have hurt me and the things that have happened to me that have stolen my love. I am filled with love by the power of the person sin of the Holy Spirit. And then we finish here. My mind, my heart, and my desires, my actions. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit desires us the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are no longer under the obligation of the law. What he is saying is when you are living by the Spirit, you are living in a power beyond yourself. Let me give you this really quick, just a quick application that I wrote down. Guys, I know you don't have these. Don't worry about it. But this is an application. Of, so, so how do I live in this intentional awareness and intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Here are three really quick things to focus on. Number one is to repent. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So if I'm grieving the Holy Spirit by sin in my life, I have to repent of those things and say, Lord, I, I ask you, I repent of the sin in my life, and I ask that you would take me into a deeper level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Where do I start? I start with repentance. Lord, I repent. Forgive me of what I have done or what I am doing that is grieving your spirit. The second is to recognize. Hebrews 3, 7 through 10, it says, The Holy Spirit says, if you hear me, don't ignore me. In other words, I repent. And then I start recognizing these promptings. I start recognizing when the Holy Spirit convicts me of something, when it speaks to me about something, when that small, still voice begins to work in me, and then we finish with respond. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians 5. So he's saying, repent of what has grieved the Spirit, recognize when the Spirit is trying to lead you, and respond. Do what the Spirit is asking you to do. Don't give in to the flesh, but go with the Spirit and do what the Spirit wants. And here is what happens when we do. Romans 15, verse 13. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit.
you will overflow in confident hope. So we repent, we recognize, and we respond. And when we do those things, we create a cycle of overflow with the Holy Spirit in our lives. My daughter, her favorite place in our house right now is the bathtub. She takes like seven baths a day. She thinks it's so fun. She dumps out every shampoo that we have and creates this mountain of bubbles everywhere. And just, she loves it. It's, it's, it's cute and annoying at the same time, right? It's like, oh, it's so cute. You've got six feet of bubbles. And then it's like, oh, I've got to clean all this up. Thanks for destroying the bathroom again. But she loves the bathtub. And so uh, when it's time for her to get out, I go and I pull the plug. And she does the cutest thing in the world. She lays down in the bath and she tries to, to keep the water from going out of the plug, right? So she's got her hands here and she's, she's like guarding it and it's slipping through. And she's, she moves her arm over and she tries to lay her body in front of it. And she tries to do everything she can to keep the water from going down the drain. And then Finally, there's just a little bit of water left, right? So she's got it cupped here, and then it start, and it's like the saddest thing because you could see it seeping through, like crack of her hands and her elbow. You know, it's just it's draining down the drain. It's going away, and she's scooping it. And then when it's finally gone, she looks at me. She fights with me. I, I grab her, and I pull her out of the tub and dry her off. So the other day she was doing that, and, and I was thinking about this this message and everything that, and I was thinking about the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And my daughter illustrated it so perfectly. She's sitting there and she's cupping the water trying to keep it, and it was all gone. And I said, okay, bath is all gone. And she looked at me, and then she turned and turned the water back. And, just, and it started flowing. I was like, no, baby, off. And she didn't even mess with trying to cup it because she knew where the source was. And when she figured out where the source of the water was coming from, she wasn't trying to just keep these little bits that she has. She knew how to turn on the overflow. Here's what I think we need to do. We have got to quit trying to just hold on to little pieces of the Holy Spirit and embrace an overflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to quit trying to just live above sin. We have to start saying, I am going to live righteously, and I'm going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just going to try to connect with God on Sunday for an hour, but every day I'm going to connect with the Lord. Every day I'm going to nurture my spirit, and I'm going to create an overflow. So I'm not living like this, just trying to have these little pieces of God, but I am sitting under the faucet of the overflow of the Holy Spirit in my life. When we do that, that's when hope and peace enter in. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life, and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith.